Hello guys, welcome to another episode of the Average NBA Fans Podcast. In this podcast, we will be discussing the game last night, which was Oxford Celtics. After that, we will be going into the next round predictions. Who's gonna win? What are what is our take on the next round? So let's get right into the video, uh, into the podcast, guys. What do you think about the the game? I mean, we predicted and we expected and we thought that the Boston Celtics will take this game and that's why the color on the background is also green for the people who cannot see me if you're listening to me my the background on my uh, the background color on my screen is green that's because the Boston Celtics close the series which they should have done in the previous match uh, even though uh, Atlanta Hawks were a better uh, were a good team in this particular uh, matchup but still the Boston did well to close out the series what are your thoughts on that Anger than Ranch um, for me I felt like it was almost like a repeat telecast, sort of similar to what the Bucks versus the Miami game was. But the only difference for me was probably like how Miami closed off those games. How Miami was very efficient down the stretch. It was all good looks. But um, I think Hawks generated exactly like the last game. I think as soon as fourth quarter came in, the Celtics did not have execution. The Celtics did not have a lot of energy. And I think uh, the Hawks were in the position to win this game again. They were in position to take this game again. But the only thing that didn't fall for them was their shots. Especially Trey Young, who could not buy a bucket in the second half. He, as, as good as he was in the first half, he just could not buy a bucket in the second half. They missed open threes, open shots at the end and I think Celtics gave them enough opportunities I felt like the Celtics were trying to lose that game at that point like they gave them so many open shots so many possessions I think uh, in the middle of that fourth quarter they were like four or five just empty possessions at both ends where neither team could score and it was just a bunch of bad possessions wherein I felt like Celtics left the door open for far too long for the Hawks to come back it was just that the Hawks just couldn't make those shots. Otherwise, we'd be going to Game 7 right now. And, and to that point, I feel like Celtics are not a real championship contender to me. Yeah. I feel like the exact same team from the last year. They refuse to make those changes. Much like the Bucks, I'd say. They refuse to make changes on the defensive end. They refuse to make changes to their offensive scheme. They have not changed their offensive scheme. And even in this game, I felt like it was their... Two big stars showing up again. The talent showing through. Not the team, not the skills, not a cohesive team effort to win the game. I felt like it was just the pure talent at the end showing through. Wherein uh, they hit tough shots while Hawks couldn't. But it wasn't proper defense, proper offense from them. It was Nothing was running on the offense again. It was just ISO, ISO tough threes. And they made those. Apart from like a couple of plays from Marcus Smart where he drove the ball to get the advantage, get that double team kicker out to his teammates and that one offensive rebound from Tatum, I saw nothing in the clutch, nothing in that fourth quarter that was exceptional where they ran plays, where they did something good. Uh, I felt like it was more so the Hawks losing this game and the series than the Celtics winning. For sure, like, you know, uh, you talked about Celtics being just like the last season, right? Where they obviously were one over the Heat in seven. If you think about it, if Butler 
Jimmy Butler was uh, in his form like he is this season. They probably do not even advance, right? It was to up to that Jimmy Butler three-point shot that he hit uh, off the dribble pull up, and if he made that, we won't be talking about Celtics as highly as we did. Obviously, then they made the NBA Finals, and they were really close from clinching that game four. And if they win the game four against Warriors, who knows what happens? But they ended up losing that match, and it all shows what it boils down to. What Rajesh you obviously pointed out right now, right? And down the clutch, they are always relying on their offensive uh, weapons of two Js, and they rely too much on tough bucket making by those two players. And granted, they are one of the best bucket makers, right? They can get you thirty on any odd point. And like I talked about, if you heard two podcasts ago, I talked about this one person that I really thought was going to have a good game, and it was Jalen Brown. And down the stretch, man, oh man, he showed me that you know he might as well be as good as Jason Tatum, if not better, especially in the postseason. Because uh, I've got another spicy take. Just, just to interrupt you for a little oh, bit. Sure, go ahead. Um, I feel like Jalen Brown should be the centerpiece on that Celtics team. Ooh. And I, I feel like Jalen Brown is a better player than Jason Tatum because I feel like Jason Tatum really gets stiff in tough moments, whereas right. Jalen Brown does not. I completely agree with you because I've had this viewpoint for a couple of years now. Because Jalen Brown, whenever you see him, right. He's always playing in the offense. He's not going for tough fade. Of, I mean, he does get his isolation balls, but he's not always trying to chuck up those shots. I think Jalen Brown is a much more better player to play in the offense. I think he's much better defensively. I mean, you could go around because Jason Tatum obviously guarding forwards. Jalen Brown taking up uh, smaller matchups because of the size difference. But the only thing Jason Tatum has over Jalen Brown is his dribble because Jalen Brown man over man. Even without that hand <laughs> in the stage, man. Yeah. You know, and last four seasons against the Warriors, I think he was the best player on the court for Celtics. And there's one more player that we talked about a lot, and I think there was a lot to be desired from him tonight. Derek White. I mean, he had some good plays throughout, but he was not the same Derek White that we saw in the first two games, where the Celtics just blew by them. And that is one thing. But um, speaking about you know the Celtics team, Robert Williams only playing 17 minutes, and you know uh, Al Horford obviously getting more than 30 minutes tonight. The problem with the Hawks, I feel, is that they could have really crashed the glass, right? Onyekau Kongu got more than 10 boards. Clint Capella got more than 10 boards. And we talked about this last night too, that Celtics do not have that one person who can crash the glass every time, right? It was probably Robert Williams, but he's getting like less than 20 minutes at coach's decision. So, I mean, the Hawks had the size advantage. They had good players from John Collins. I think he was not the best player on the court by any means, which is not been, but 16 points is not... Bad. Beyond the Hunter, most underrated player on the Hawks. But what really lost them this game was Trey Young going nine for twenty-eight. Both of their backcourt shooting less than forty percent from the field, and that's the problem that I think the Hawks and we what we talked about the Hawks being right having right. They made the big trade. They gave up three future first-round picks, and at the same point in time, it doesn't make sense. I think Deshante Murray. I think Deshante Murray has been overall, even if they haven't gotten the wins with him, he has been the better guard overall over Trey Young. I mean, Aishtri won Game 5, Aishtri did ice up that game and really helped them win the game. But at the same point, I think DeJounte Murray makes the offense get a lot better. I think Trey Young, obviously, one of the worst defensive matchups. I think one of the worst defenders all time. Like, I, I remember a stat floating around that Darius Garland two years ago was the worst player statistically. I think Trey Young could be the worst player statistically defensively. Even this season, with DeJounte Murray, with DeAndre Hunter, all these players. 
I think he is. I think he he's definitely at the bottom and of I've the list. But I'm not surprised at all with that, all of that, right? And the Hawks. I mean, sure, they gave, they came to a game six, and I, I I won't say it was a successful season, but no one was predicting them to win the series over Celtics. But the manner in which they won, even the matches they won, the matches they won, there was a lot of positive, right? Trey Young going absolutely berserk, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins hitting his threes. But the lot matches they lost, it sometimes seems like. If I was a locked-in Hawks fan, I could see them at least going to a Game 7 and even winning the series for the matter of fact where, you know, Jimmy Butler yeah. obviously stepped up his game. If Trey Young stepped up his game this postseason, maybe we could be looking at a second-round matchup. It was eerily I mean, similar, uh, those two those two matchups. Sorry, Sujin. Those two were like eerily similar where both the teams up big would just leave the door open for the other team to just make just make enough mistakes so that the other team could just climb in but the Hawks as I said before just couldn't make those big shots at the end Hunter tried a three uh Trey Young tried a three there were a lot of missed layups Murray missed an open layup and it was just uh I think they buckled under that pressure they're young and they don't have that experience maybe that's that's what packed it in but I think those two series were very very similar it's just that Butler is Butler and it was just his show and like overall Miami has more uh, experience than these Atlanta Hawks and that's what showed through. Exactly, I wanted to point this out too that the experience uh, is a big thing when it comes to playoffs. I think so Atlanta needed that experience that they have, would have had that experience. I mean we cannot really compare Trey Young with Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is Jimmy <laughs> Butler and Trey Young is Trey Young. I mean uh, Trey Young is not is not even close where Jimmy Butler with the with the level of uh, play that Jimmy Butler is showing right now and the kind of uh, the kind of experience that the whole Miami team is wearing. I mean, I don't think so. Uh, Trey Young will need probably eight more seasons to get to the level where Jimmy Butler is right now. <laughs> I mean, the kind of maturity that he that that guy has, the kind of IQ that that guy has. I mean, he is not even close. I and that is the problem with Atlanta. Atlanta depends upon a man who is not the best man on the league. And I think so. There's a lot of dependence upon him, uh, and which which is causing an end. I don't think so. Atlanta expected to go anywhere further than this particular series. Uh, it, they, they knew it in their hearts. I don't think so. Atlanta fans, although they have much have wanted, but they knew that they cannot just depend upon Trey Young if they want to move forward in the series. I mean that that's a pretty bad bet that you're taking. This is, yeah, I like you said, right? Jimmy Butler has a lot of IQ, and Jimmy Butler has that heart in him. I think we saw a lot of those things and we saw a lot of questions with Jimmy during that Timberwolves season and that Phoenix season. You know, Jimmy was a player who was not always a fan favorite. He was a player who was booed a lot. You know, his teammates always hate them. I think the, this Miami team, even in Chicago, he had a lot of, uh, you know, beef with uh, Joaquin Noah sometimes. And obviously the old head sometimes clashed with him because he was a younger guy with that great eye. If you look at Jimmy's backstory, you know, being a homeless at 13, uh, being oh, raised yeah. up, he was a D D two right. college student before going to market, and then obviously being the thirtieth pick in the first round. I think Jimmy Butler has really opened his game up in the league and he stepped up to be one of the highest performers. And I hope Trey Young can get to that level someday because you've seen that graphic, right? Jimmy Butler said that I put off my phone, I went to the gym, I was sixteen hours in the gym, and that season he came back as a most improved player. It it sends chills down my spine when I see that graphic, right? That, you know, came back most improved season almost with really 40% from three, which is crazy for Jimmy Butler. Moving up to like 18 points in Chicago and 
Then obviously being one of the centerpieces at Timberwolves, at Celtics, uh, I'm sorry, at 76ers, and then finally leading to Miami where he's pushed them to a finals run. Right, so maybe Trey Young can be expected that he's still younger in this league. I, I believe this is the fifth season, right? Uh, trade um, drafted, uh, right? Uh, drafted after that crazy draft night trade with Luka Doncic, Luka, uh, picked yeah. number five by Dallas, and then traded to the Hawks. But I think there's a lot to be expected, and that's this question, right? I want to ask you a very simple question: uh, Can a team with Trey Young at the helm ever win a championship? Or at least no, ever get success in the playoffs? They can, but it's too early for them. That is what I was trying to say, right? It would yeah, Trey Young could be at Jimmy Butler level, but he is not at there right now. He would take four or five seasons to get there with the kind of experience that he gets in the next few seasons, with the kind of losses that he gets. There are two types of players, Anger, to be very honest. One who accepts the responsibility and moves forward with it, takes the responsibility beautiful, beautifully. And there are other people who are probably like, okay, I've got this responsibility, but I'm not taking this responsibility. This responsibility was put on me, but I don't have to take it. And I think so, Trae Young is of that attitude where he can take an opera. He's, he's, he's a lot, his attitude is a lot like, if I have that opportunity, I'll take that leadership. If there is not an opportunity, I'll, pretty, I'll not take leadership. Right, he, his leadership is very uh, subjective to the kind of play that he is in. I mean, he'll be he'll be like the best player when he's uh, facing small teams, but he'll be the worst player when he's being facing big teams. And I think so that the 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 Atlanta Hawks do not stand a chance in the recent future unless he gets a good he, uh, unless he gets his mind in the right place and he gets a good uh, second person to uh, back him up, uh, a good uh, all-time NBA star to back him up in the series. I'm quickly becoming the spicy take man on this podcast, but um, uh, I've got another one. Uh, should the Hawks crowd start making F. Trey Young chants? Because he apparently seems to turn into Jimmy Butler when he hears those. I mean, he he's apparently much better in, in like those hostile crowds, right? He's done that to the Knicks. He did that in this uh, in this series as well. So but literally, it was uh, you know the Knicks crowd that pumped RJ Barrett too. If you saw Game Four and Game Five, they pumped him up, and that's how he you got decent performances, twenty six points and like eighteen points out of him after Randall went out. So maybe Shrizdraj, what you have here is a solid <laughs> point. Yes, I mean it just shows my what I what I'm trying to say that some he needs someone to give him the push. That is the problem with Trey Young at the moment. He does not is not self-motivated. If you need an external validation to go up and step up your game, that is not the best thing for you as a leader of the team right. where the team trusts you the most, where you are the star guy on the team. For sure. Because you don't need Luca or Steph to be given that, right? Right. Yeah, anyways, but and like in all seriousness, with the trades that uh, the Hawks made for like Sadiq Bey and uh, Dejounte Murray, uh, what, what do you guys think was this season? Do you guys view this as a huge failure trading away assets to to get those guys? Even though they're so young in in the overall team is very young, their leader is very young, their backcourt is very young. What are your views on this season? It was a so-so season wherein they gave the fight to the Celtics, but uh, overall we kind of knew that they didn't match up. I think that, you know, even with the tra- Trailblazers disaster with Gary Payton obviously not being apparently healthy and that trade falling off, I think five second round picks, which was probably the premium this entire trade deadline, I think that was 
good value for money for Sadiq Bey. I mean, he he has been a good player at the Pistons. He was averaging like 16, 17 points on not bad efficiency at the Pistons. But the same, but he had a much higher role. I think he was expecting that higher role. But I think the Hawks lineup with you know even Quinn Snyder who came in halfway through the season, I think they're relying a lot on their guards right now. I think the forwards, you know, even DeAndre De- Hunter who's been averaging like 23 points a game these last two games, I think. He's not getting those touches. It's like probably like you know dump off passes, you know drive and kick opportunities with trails. That's all that is. I think the the short tendency and the first two scoring options with uh, Hawks, even with uh, doing Casey, not doing Casey, but uh, I don't even remember the coach before Quinn Snyder. But uh, yeah, exactly. Right? Honestly, I'm I'm blanking too. Yeah, I mean, uh, oh God, I I just got it. Anyway, the point is that you know it's always Trey Young shooting threes or pass passing or playmaking, and apart from that, it's after that it's just Trey Young driving and lobbing it up to Capella or John Collins. And after that comes like Dejounte Murray, and then your Bogdanoviches and you know your DeAndre Hunters gets uh, probably a small uh, number of touches, but that's the problem. Like nice discussion so, like, point. Very hard, like. Guard heavy lineup exactly, for them. and I think Quinn Snyder needs to change that. I think Quinn Snyder did not have the personnel at Jazz for sure because it was definitely Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley having the ball all the time. I think the wing Bogdanovich and who did who they was have? Joe Ingles, Utah was was it Rudy Gobert? Uh, did we miss him already, or, or no, do we have to do that again? To Clint, uh, you could argue that Clint Capella has had a better season than Rudy Gobert this season. Even I think Hawks you could argue anybody has had a better season than Rudy Gobert. I think you could argue Kessler has been better than Rudy Gobert. For sure, I think I I put that up in 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 that previous one wherein I said yeah. like it's a spicy take, but I think Walker Kessler, which was one of the trade pieces in Rudy Gobert trade, if if anybody doesn't know, like. He that I was an five first round picks, <laughs> but anyways, uh, rounding up this discussion and coming back to the Hawks, I think we are all in agreement that it was a so-so season, but it was a young team with a, y- a lot of young talent on that team, uh, from the back court to the front court. Th- th- that is a very young team, and I think the the biggest thing that they're lacking is probably experience, uh, but. I think they overall have a, a a good foundation there, and with a coach like Quinn Snyder, I think he can unlock that team a lot more. For sure, I think talking for spicy takes, I want to go to a spicy matchup, right? And from center one center to probably the best center right now, according to me, the best center. I don't know what the league is planning, but Set for me, this guy is the best center. I'm talking about the first West Round matchup. Uh, second round matchup for the Western Conference, which has been confirmed to be Nuggets for the Suns. Because Nuggets is the only first seed that's still in because Bucks obviously got eliminated, and uh, Celtics is probably going to be the only second seed because probably the Memphis is going to get eliminated, right? So now we're looking at a front court advantage. We're going against a team which was obviously a Jokic-led team for the last two seasons, not doing the best regular season or postseason wise because Jokic obviously not having enough firepower. Both Murray being injured through last season with MPJ having back soreness and a lot of back problems here since his NBA uh, since his draft to the NBA and obviously getting that one seventy six or five million which is a crazy contract for someone with 
a lot of injury history, but still he's been playing really well in the postseason. But yeah. going against the team with uh, which uh, two years prior just made the NBA Finals, right? They were two 0 up, and anything could have gone down with Giannis history, uh, Giannis's injury, ankle injury. But Giannis uh, came through. Then uh, last season, going against a uh, Luka Doncic uh, Mavericks team, which just blew that Suns team out. I mean, Game Seven. We talk about Game Sevens being uh, unpredictable. That was an unpredictable match where they were yeah. forty points down in the first half, seventy-seven to thirty-seven. And this this season, having a lot of injury history at the start and not having the best start. At one point, and they were as low as the Lakers, like one seed above the Lakers. They were like tenth, while the Lakers were eleventh. And then finally, making one of the biggest trades, for sure, the biggest trade in their franchise history, but one of the biggest trades ever with the kind of superstar going at a trade deadline in Kevin Durant and losing a lot of their defense and a lot of their bench production for it as well as poor first round picks. Guys, what do you think about this match? I've I've yeah. seen somewhere that Jokic said that Aiton has been his hardest matchup yet. Yeah, so, apparently that's something that Jokic still goes ahead. But Rudy, I had a point with you, right? So the last matchup of the regular season, uh, Nuggets were going against the Suns and Nuggets were still had this the first seed. I mean, Memphis was just a game behind. But they rested all the start. There's no one played because they did not want to show anything that they had prepared because they were prepared to face the Suns team in the postseason, right? And now, and they won that game because of Christian Brown, I think, scored like 24 <laughs> points and going crazy, which is unexpected. I had Thomas Bryant and DJ getting a lot of minutes. So, what do you think is going to be the game plan, especially against you know, your pitch playing a lot of drop coverage and this team having a lot of mid range killers? Like a lot of mid-range killers, like they're going for that mid-range shot time after time again. And Jokic is probably going to play drop coverage, which he's shown to play always. Where do you think it's going to be with Jokic defensively, and how is he going to cope with this team? Um, that's first of all, that's a very good question because I feel like I, I agree with that. That um, the Suns will most likely spam pick and rolls. That's what they do. That's their Spanish MO. Spanish pick and rolls, and, yeah, yeah, and uh. That's that's their MO and, and against a defense like Jokic, I think that's a very good strategy to use anyways because he he's going to be in that drop. He can't keep up with Booker, Durant or CP3. And and those three are very good at managing the pick and roll. They're very good at mid-ranges, at ISOs. And I think, to your point, I feel like this is going to be two juggernaut offenses going at each other and... The Suns, after that loss of uh, the almost like the the whole bench at this point, uh, I feel like, like you mentioned, uh, even the bench beat the that Suns team. I feel like, to me, uh, Denver has been the best team of the higher seeds. They've shown out, uh, and and they are most definitely the deepest team in the playoffs right now. And I feel like that will be an edge for the Nuggets. Uh, as top heavy as the Suns are, and uh, two of their major three players being over 30 years old, um, and all three of their superstars being a little bit injury prone, I think that might be an issue. But coming back to that defense, I feel like both the teams are not that great defensively, uh, and both of them will eat each other up because there's just matchup problems on either side. Uh, 
Aiton is the only good player they have against uh, Jokic, but you know how Jokic can be very smart with his passes, and he can be very crafty down low, where he will just fake you out, and and he has excellent footwork down low. Well, he'll just do his work, but more so then, than that, he'll get his players involved. So then, you know, Tory Craig has one of the highest three-point percentages in the postseason right now, fifty-seven percent from three, right? And you you think Jokic, right? He's gonna get his man open. Now I won't say that the Suns have a bad defense, but for sure not a great off-ball defense, right? You not you don't want a thirty-five-year-old KD chasing around and a thirty-eight-year-old Chris Paul chasing Jamal Murray around. Do you think the Suns are gonna carry that three-point percentage around? And do you think the bench can probably give them enough to where Kevin Durant and Devin Booker can match away with the Nuggets? I think so. Uh, Devin Booker will definitely be the X factor. I mean, he is the kind of grit that he showed during the Clippers game, uh, defensively as well. I think so. That is something that we have to uh, that we'll have to look forward to. I mean, he he has been very gritty. He has been running around, uh, trying to get those t- uh, trying to get that off wall handles and everything. And uh, uh, he he is uh, most likely to be uh, uh, slowing down. He would most likely be tasked with slowing down Murray during the whole se- uh, during the whole matchup. And I think so. That is something that we could probably, uh, that could probably help the Suns team. Uh, but it would be very exciting for uh, us to see that to better Devin Booker is able to produce that offensively. But the only problem with that whole thing is that we are also expecting him to be the highest scorer on the Suns team, and then we're expecting him defensively as well as much as he as much as he can do. I am not sure if he can provide on both uh, both things, uh, b- both sides. Rudash, what do you think about it? Um, I I think I agree. Um, but I feel like just like I said, there's just matchup problems on either side. Um, maybe the Nuggets go with KCP on Booker, which would be I I feel like the best matchup. But then again, KD is a matchup problem for anyone, anyone in this league. So I feel like he will have a very big series. Uh, because I feel like KCP is a very good defender and he'll somewhat slow down uh, Booker. Uh, but to your point, he's also great defensively and he will most likely get the Murray uh, assignment. And it'll be interesting to see whether that impacts his offense at all or not. Because uh, in that uh, in the previous series, he was not uh, having to guard uh, the best offensive uh, weapon like I mean, Murray's probably not the best, maybe the second best op- option, but he he's damn good, he, and he's back to that bubble form. So uh, I feel like once again, uh, like to reiterate, I feel like it'll be two offensive juggernauts just going at each other's heads, and I feel like it'll be very high-scoring matchups, uh, just overall very good offense beating out somewhat of a mediocre defense on either end. Yeah, right. Right before we move into the predictions, I just want to say that you know. KCP, good enough, but I think the biggest problem for Nuggets is obviously going to be containing Durant. Like we talked about, reiterated a lot of times, that you know, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant can create their own shot, but they've been creating for others as well. They've been uh, like averaging almost 13 assists combined, and Chris Paul is assisting almost 7 to 8 times a game, too. So the thing about Nuggets' offense is that, you know, even though all these players are good defenders on ball, I don't think they're the best off ball. Like, you don't want Chris Paul to. So there's what you you can either have Chris Paul guarding Jamal Murray and chasing him around, or you can have him guard KCP and 
again, he's still splitting the line. He's going for that three. And Yuki is going to find him every time. So, I mean, that's going to be a matchup you have to think about. And uh, talking about the thing I would like to like like point out. Uh, sorry, sorry, Angad. I'm, sure, sure, is sure. That the, the Nuggets uh, are way deeper, like we said. And uh, we have seen the Suns bench like struggle extremely against even the Clippers who are not as deep as the Denver Nuggets. I feel like it'll be a massive problem for them and their stars will have to play massive minutes like they did in the previous series. I feel like they'll basically be riding out on a thin eight-man lineup at best. And I think Monty does not have a lot of slack with those uh, with those uh, second lineups. Yeah, exactly. Even in game one, we saw him play like 11 players, which was like he was trying to get his playoff lineup down. And I don't think he has a playoff lineup down because Josh Kogi not an offensive threat at all. Even if he's driving, he's not an offensive threat. And I think Jokic, you know, Jokic is one of the best defenders statistically. But if when you see it, I mean, you can see that drop coverage yeah. is not working against this player, right? And the thing about, you know, Ryan just said, you both pointed out that, you know, this is a well-oiled machine offense. Jokic knows where his players are going to go, right? He knows KCP is going to go for that uh, right before that wing three-pointer. You know, NPJ has a lot of size. He has lateral quickness where he can, you know, if he's not defending Kevin Durant because almost no one is, he can at least pro- provide him with enough wherein he's a tough matchup. He's going, he's going to, you know, give him enough competition defensively and offensively. Again, MPJ is not someone to slack around. He's like showing oh, yeah. 50% from three. And I think MPJ could be the X factor for the exactly. Nuggets in this series. I think the X factor is definitely going to be Alan Gordon because Alan Gordon, we are not expected Alan Gordon and to you know defend. Do you think Tori. Aaron Gordon takes the Kevin Durant assignment or I will it be MPJ? Going, I think they're going to take Aaron Gordon with the MPJ, uh, the Kevin Durant assignment because Aaron Gordon is really fast. He's one of the players that does all the dirty work. I love that player. He's running back. Uh, he's running back though. He's always, he has the greatest chemistry, I think, out of all his teammates with Jokic. And, you know, he gives him them a, a Kevin Durant a lot uh, to bargain for. And I think if that matchup does not work, then probably you have MPJ in. Because, you know, you still need MPJ to score at least 20 points per game. So, he has an offensive load. I think Aaron Gordon is just looking to, you know, make some open threes, uh, cut back door, get like 15 points and play good defense and get rebounds. So, I think that's going to be the matchup. And... Uh, talking about this matchup, what do you think is going to be your prediction? Because we have not had the best prediction for the first round <laughs> matchup. I think, like, I had the worst percentage out of all the three of us. So I'll go last. But what do you think? Nuggets for the Suns, who ends? And how long does this series take? I think so. It will be a close matchup, which is something that we'll have to look out for. Uh, I am going with the Denver Nuggets to win it in seven. I mean, that okay. is uh, that is something that is, uh, I mean, if, if you look at it st- statistically and if you look at it uh, performance number-wise, I think so Denver Nuggets have the edge moving forward the, with the best trend that they have with the kind of a three-point, uh, with the better three-point shooting percentage uh, than the than the Suns. And we and we know that uh, if uh, the if, if they can uh, probably pull up a lot of points when the when the big three is on the bench, I think so that would be a great win for Nuggets and Nikola Jokic. I mean, possibly the third time in the MVP uh, in a row. I think so that that guy is not packing down anytime soon. But what I also want to predict is that if whoever wins the series could be the be the possible winner of the conference as well, of the conference finals as well. So I'm I'm going with Denver Nuggets uh, and in game in game seven. 
um that's a very good assessment i'd say I, i'd probably go with the same but i kind of want to be spicy so i'd probably say the denver nuggets handle business in 5 damn the rajesh took me on the i think the man handle the suns i think they are a way deeper team and they just ball out on the biggest stage and and they once again will punch the media in the face and they'll be like um they have been and they like yeah they have been the underdogs being the one seed they've 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 been that forever now and i think it'll be a statement for them i think the biggest thing will be the will be the bench for me because i don't think you can sustain 40 40 40 plus minutes for your stars like in in a seven game series and even if they do it it just is it, it might be a factor in in the next series because like i pointed out two of those are like nearing uh, 40 years i think uh, i think durant is 36 plus and uh, chris paul is like 38 so i i feel like it'll be a tough match up for the suns as well for me uh, like i said mpj is the x factor for denver and i feel like kd might be the x factor for the suns because i feel like uh denver has a good uh, answer for uh, for uh booker uh, in defenders and and for the suns aiton match up, matches up really well uh, with jokic so i think kd is the only mismatch and um i think kd for the suns and mpj for for the nuggets and i think the bench is what kills the suns for me so guys i'm going to be a sort say it right now i'm going to predict exactly what happens in the next matchup right i think the first match of nuggets win by 10 i think it's a easy comfortable win i think monty again has a 11 match lineup 11 man lineup and you know uh, they're going to go in easy i think both have had enough rest they have not played a lot of games they played five games but i think the suns had a day off more than the nuggets but at the same point i think they needed more they have 30 they have a lot of 30 year olds on their team while uh, the only 30 year olds on the nuggets is like the andre jordan and the kcp but i think the second game i think yokich pulls out the master class with like 18 assists jamal murray goes for 30 i think game 3 kd is going to score 40 points i think suns win the third oh. game and then yokich just goes absolutely berserk i think yokich is looking at all these things that he's heard from like 72nd uh, week uh, 72nd match of line right when you know he was being compared to embiid about the mvp and everything and his performance took a bit of a dip and he was like you know what i'm going to save myself for the playoffs i think he saved himself for the playoffs enough i think he's going to go absolutely ballistic i think he's going to show deandre ayton who the boss is because as much as i you know deandre ayton can be a dirty dirty as in a man who does all the dirty work i think he's nowhere near jokic i think jokic can do everything offensively and apart from defense i think he does all the dirty work he gets those rebounds he's sometimes diving for loose balls and he's never taking like easy shot he's always getting the best shot for him as a teammate i think he's dropping like 40 points in the last two games and i think he's going to build them to a victory itself but i i want i honestly believe it's going to be six game series but rulraj took my fire and i wanted to predict the five game series and i really I I really think that after Giannis got you know Giannis obviously got bounced in five games in the first series I think Jokic knows that right now it's his time to take that championship that that belt of being the best there you know then there are two belts right there's the MVP trophy and that's the belt where you have you are the best player in the league 
I think even the LeBron didn't win all those MVPs in the 2010s. I think he was considered the best player in the league. And I think UK is going for the favorite. He doesn't care about the MVP. He's going for the best player in the league. And if he gets through this series and if he wins, goes to the finals, it's not even about winning. But if he goes to the finals with this matchup, I think he's considered at least a top two player after Giannis, right? So I think that's going to be how it is. And now moving to Giannis. After talking about Giannis, let's go to the next matchup. We go to the Eastern Conference because the VEC doesn't have a second round matchup yet. But this is going to be a crazy matchup. It's both underdogs, right? Both lower seeds on higher seeds, lower seeds, right? Eighth seed or the fifth seed. Jimmy Butler reuniting with Tom Thibodeau after his time at the Timberwolves. A man, a team that, you know, has been about uh, uh, one of the better three-pointers because the Knicks, uh, you know, being in top 10 three-point volume and efficiency, going against a team which is red hot. 45% from three. A team with a lot of players who died for rebounds. Mitchell Robinson, Josh Hart, even Julius Sandin, even Jalen Brunson at times. was a team that you don't know, man, who's getting eight rebounds. It can be Caleb Martin, it can be Max Strauss in game five, it was Caleb Martin in game four. It was like, uh, who's that last? Uh, who's that? Uh, right, it's like Gabe Vincent in game three. Right, all of these players, it's an underdog matchup. Both have that underdog mentality where, you know, the world is against you and you just want to go and show them. It's Miami versus Knicks. Guys, what do you think about this matchup? I feel like uh, I feel the most sorry for the for the refs who have to do the job in this series because it's going <laughs> to be a really aggressive, really tough fought, grit grind series. Like in the longest, I feel like this is going to be the most physical series. Like you ever mentioned, the the both the teams play with so much heart, so much like passion, and they're so aggressive. And it's more so. Uh, both of them being gritty and grimy and not so like elite skill wise whereas other matchups are very uh, skill uh, skill biased I feel like these two will be very fun to watch and on top of that uh, two very good defenses going against each other which will be again very fun to watch uh, Jimmy Butler being Jimmy Butler right now and uh, I feel like it will be uh, an amazing, amazing matchup. Uh, but uh, I think you know more about Brunson and the Knicks than anyone. Uh, what? How do you feel like about about going against Miami and and Jimmy? Yeah. So uh, you were talking about two great defenses, right? But at the same point, two amazing coaching performances, right? Spoonstar yeah. just coaching the hell out of Coach, but like there was. N- like, there's a reason, right, why Coach uh, Spolstra is, like, named one of the top 10 coaches ever, I believe. And I sure think enough. he deserves that. You know, Coach Spolstra, even during that Miami, uh, even during that LeBron state where, you know, Pat Riley said he's your coach and he's not going anywhere. You can see why Spolstra is still a Miami coach right now. While uh, Tom Thibodeau, man, Tom Thibodeau was, you know, really, after Timberwolves, he was seen like, this guy is nothing, right? Then goes to the Knicks, brings them to the playoffs, but they lose to Hawks in four, in five, sorry. Last season could not make the playoffs at all. But this season, again, he's like, uh, he ran circles around J.B. Vickerstaff. I mean, that was a younger team, obviously. But they lost Donovan Mitchell. They could not trade for him. They got Jalen Branson. And Jalen Branson, even though he was not as bad as 
any as any defender as any perimeter defender in the league but he has been positive this season i mean uh, we've not even seen a imagine quickly gain till now who's been like one of the uh, top runners for six man of the year we're not seeing a imagine quickly gain the only problem that nicks have even if he, he was not good offensively julius randle provides them a lot of size he is always a i mean he's not the best three point shooter but he is a threat from three sometimes or the other i mean there are the power forwards obi toppin has a lot of energy but he obviously lacks the skill and he's still a rougher talent right now he has been good in game 5 but nowhere near to what a regular season randle performances we had this season and if uh, tom thibodeau can get rj just paddling to the basket attacking it at will i don't see i don't see how he can probably apart from jimmy butler i cannot see how uh, rj barrett with a head full of hair uh, like full energy barreling towards the basket anyone can stop him a uh, kyle lowry might draw a charge for sure because kyle lowry is known for that but apart from that I, i don't see a lot of people defending him for that match up oh for sure i think so and it like, would be a crazy match up between the two talking about uh, the uh that that uh, the scoring for uh, the bench uh, the bench uh, f- from the Knicks has been amazing uh, in in the particular in the first and the, and and the regular season as well uh and we saw that the heat bench could not provide us with enough uh, just before the last match uh, enough for, for the particular series i think so that would be an ama- uh, that would be an amazing uh, contest that we'll have to see if we're talking about the bench in the Denver Nuggets game i think so it's the same in the Suns versus uh this game as well and Julius Randle coming off an injury I don't know when he'll be back. I don't know how much, uh, what kind of state will he be in when he comes back for the game, and uh, which is a which is a very big uh, down for uh, uh, the the New York Knicks. Also, uh, the offensive glass production, the kind of uh, rebounds. Uh, I mean, the Knicks absolutely destroyed Cavs on the glass in the first round, grabbing thirty nine point four percent of all available offensive rebounds, the the highest rate for any team uh, in the playoffs in the past nine years. I think so. That is also an amazing. Thing that we'll have and, to see. and to think that Mitchell Robinson did that over two like premier like centers in in the Cavaliers, a which they depended on. A player who was to be an All Star and a player who was All Star just last season in Jared Allen. I mean, it was not definitely. like a like a short team. It was not like a maybe like a Warriors team who was like probably playing very small. Uh, the Cavs like to play big, at least at at the front court positions, right? And Mitchell Robinson was. Like leaps and bounds ahead of them, and uh, and overall the Knicks just out rebounded them. I think the major matchup is going to be who is defending Jimmy Butler and who is defending Jalen Brunson, right? Because uh, if you don't have Randall, you don't have someone who can match the strength of a Jimmy Butler. That RJ could uh, that RJ does not have the Jimmy Butler strength assignment, but he is much more quicker laterally, and he has been a positive defender last two seasons under. Tom Thibodeau, so maybe laterally he could move as fa- fast as Jimmy Butler. He's not gonna let him blow by, but damn, you you've seen that Jimmy Butler pump right, and he always oh, yeah. always shaking that head, and he always gets someone I mean, to jump in and get that fall. I don't know how it is like like on the court, but like watching it, it feels so silly that everybody jumps on those. And it's predictable <laughs> because you've seen Jimmy Butler do that so many times. He dribbles the ball and to the paint. He gets that exactly. one bad pump and he just lays it up in. Exactly. Like it's not like he has a very wide variety in his arsenal. He, he's very basic with his stuff, but he's very effective in those in those moves. 
By the way, I have a new name for Jalen Brunson and it's Jalen Bagson. Because man <laughs> man has shown his bag this playoff season. Man, step up middies, just th- dribbling the ball inside and just down the stretch from the, uh, from the uh, strong three-point line. He's been incredible. And even if his box score doesn't show a lot, I think it's been a massive production. He's given the uh, the Cavs a major run for their money, right? So, you know, Jalen Brunson is going to go in. He's going to have that one bump with his defender and he's taking that midi and it's always almost automatic. Can 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 the spicy uh, take man strike again? I am here for spicy Rudy. Uh, I feel like uh, the Knicks kind of even don't need Randall for the offensive production with, with Brunson playing as good as he has. I feel like he is the best offensive weapon the Knicks have. I definitely agree. Jalen Brunson, he's shown not only in the regular season, but he's shown it in the postseason as well that he's been better. Randall, I think the injury was bothering him even before he was set out. I think he was grabbing that ankle and he was, you know, he was cycling a lot of times on a smaller defender. And I think the only match, I think, uh, like I said, like, it's going to be a matchup between Jalen Brunson, who is probably the be- one of the best guards in the Eastern Conference, versus Jimmy Butler, who is probably one of the best playoff performer that we've seen this series. So I think we all agree that it's going to be a, like a fun series, but uh, coming back to predictions, what do you guys have this series going? I have to go with the underdogs. I think it's going to be Heat and Six. Oh. I think so. It will be Heat in Seven, and that totally depends upon if Jimmy Butler continues his great form and he gets the support that he needs. Because, uh, I mean, the the kind of form that he's in, I don't think so he'd be able to go for, it's a hot take, I don't think so it will be, he will be able to go for long. He will have to cool down some moment in the future. But I think so, and Julius Randle injury would also play a big part in uh, how the uh, how the uh, the team performs. But I think so it would be very difficult for the Heat. But then I am also predicting uh, Heat in 7, wherein, I'm expecting Heat to dominate in the first half, then uh, having uh, Knicks to come in back in the second, and then uh, probably Heat finishing it off in seven. Two retail of production, uh, prediction, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, for me, I kind of want to pick Knicks just because both of you picked Miami. The but I, I, uh, yeah, I, I always love picking underdogs and whoever is like, nobody's like, counting on them to win but uh, uh, do I just pick that to spite with you guys Um, I'd say Miami in 6 I think they have way more experience Jimmy Butler has more experience Eric Spolstra has more experience I think uh, talent wise they both match up really nicely and that's why it'll be a fun match and I feel like uh, Miami in 6 but uh, moving over to our last matchup with Philly versus the Celtics, the age-old matchup. We've seen this before. It's It's been a rivalry in the past, but not so much since the Celtics have dominated most of it anyways. Uh, the Celtics have a home court advantage over Philly, uh, but like we discussed in previous podcasts, Celtics have been terrible at home for the last two years now especially in the playoffs 
um, do you guys think the the higher seed does that work for the Celtics or does it work actually in favor of Philly? I think it's gonna work in favor of Celtics because for one, I've not seen the seventies. I mean, I like the seventy sixes. I like the players a lot, but they're not giving me a lot to actually support them. I think the only thing that they have going for it is that Celtics couldn't take care of the Hawks game. And by the time the series starts, I think Embiid has like 10 days off. Uh, almost 11 days since that Game 3 injury that he had. And he's about to be re-evaluated in today or tomorrow itself. So by the time you're probably watching this podcast, you already know that if Embiid is ready for Game 1 or not. But at the same point in time, I think given, giving Embiid that much time off, I think it works for the 76ers. It works in their favour. Harden had those knickknack injuries here or there. But the major thing is going to be how are they defending Embiid? Because Robert Williams averaging like 24 minutes in game. Old Al Horford is definitely not the best matchup. Embiid is giving him the buckets for sure. But, he can play uh, as like, pretty as he could. But on the other end, uh, sorry to interrupt there, but on the other end, Al Horford has given some problems to Embiid as well because he likes to sit in the paint and you know Horford can stretch that floor and in the past, Horford has had really good games against the Embiid matchup as well. I mean, he so, has had good matchup, but I know I've seen Embiid this season just dominate that eight, that fifth, third, ten to thirteen foot midi. I think he's been really good with that. I think his three point percentage had definitely dropped, but I don't want hard uh, Embiid taking it more than two three pointers a game. I think his midis has been really nice. I think every I think the playmaking is going to be something that I really want to see from Embiid because in the first two games. I saw him make split-second decisions. I saw him making it to Tobias Harris, to Tyrese Maxey. When he, whenever he got double-team, obviously, you know, he got a lot of practice out of those double-teams because the next were throwing double-teams on him as soon as he was uh, getting the ball up the uh, half-court line. And that's something that I think prepared him for the Celtics team because even though they don't have the size, they have a lot of strength. JT and Jason, Jalen Brown are no mismatches. I mean, the mismatches for NB, but there are no... The uh, small defenders. I mean, they can hand hand over a few matchups. Yeah, they they can hand their head over a few matchups. I think that's like, going to be the major uh, thing. I think a very good series to compare this to would probably be uh, the Celtics versus the Nets. Uh, with with Durant in that series. For how, sure. Durant, how how bad of a matchup he was, and he is currently even for any and, team. And the best part about that was you saw Nicholas Claxton get like. 15 free throws at some point of time. Then he was like 30, 40% from the free throw line. You know Embiid is not missing uh, 40, 40% of his free throws. He's a he's a 85% from the free throw line career shooter. So you know Embiid is getting to that bucket, uh, getting to that free throw line. We're not saying Harden get to the free throw line. That's something that's concerning. But Tyrese Maxim ran 43% from three for the regular season, 44 from the postseason. Tobias Harrison showed some improvement. He's, I mean, last uh, game four, he was dominating them in whatever shot he wanted was falling. So, I mean, if you get a Tyrese Maxi performance, if you have Tobias Harris do like 80% of what he did through the next series, if you have like a 8 assist, 20 point game from Harden, that's all you need and you want MB to go ahead with whatever he's giving you, possibly a 25, 11 and 6 game. I mean, it will, be, it will depend a lot on Embiid's status. I mean, if Embiid is uh, coming back because if uh, uh, Boston, although Boston has not been good in the previous series, but I think so Boston 
uh, are the team and have dominated throughout the season. But if if they can get the first two or the three matches without Embiid, or uh, uh, we'll have to see how many games Embiid misses. If they can get two without Embiid, I think so that would be a very good moral victory for the team. Uh, I mean, Tobias Harris has been playing well in round one. I mean, he has gotten caught in, he's scoring 22 points a game. And uh, with uh, over fifty, over fifty-seven percent in the from the three-point range, and over fifty-six from the uh, free for field goal percentage as well. But historically, he has not been a lot good in the in the semifinals when his uh, round one stats are much better. So uh, I think so. Tyrese Maxis and uh, Harden will have a lot of uh, things to backing up on them. They will need Harden to go off and Maxis to give them. Uh, a good a good support play uh, if they have anything to do with this but i think so the 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 j brothers will be uh, the jason tatum and general jalen brown uh, will uh, will be a good pain in the ass of the of the uh, 76ers team going forward uh I, to your point i i think i agree uh, like the celtics don't have a matchup for Embiid. i think uh, philly does not match up well with the two jays uh, they have one option in Tobias Harris, but they can put him on either one. But uh, they still will lack in one matchup. Who do they you put are the on? the Kevin Durant stopper and PJ Tucker. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, okay. That might be a good matchup, but at, like, what, 37, 38, do you really want to trust him for a seven-game series? Uh, but other than that, um, with the drop coverages, with the switch... Uh, heavy defensive strategy of Celtics. I feel like the Philly shooters will have a field day in this series, especially Maxi, who's been hot from the three, and I think Harden, who's no dead weight from a shooter standpoint. Although he has been regressing in driving to the lane, and like you said, he's not getting those calls anymore, and he's not able to finish at the rim as well he as he used to and his floater game is off. It's just basically tough step-back threes. But I feel like uh, with the shooting that um, Finney possesses, uh, the Celtics will have a hard time with the switching defense that they do, especially with Horford in the game and uh, with Rob Williams in the game because they will have to have a big in the game to defend Embiid, right? And uh, what another thing that I was uh, that was intriguing to me, like... I'd like to pose that to you guys, is that do you guys feel like the Boston Celtics will let Embiid have his way and get his 40 points, his 50 points? Uh, or will they actually hedge and double-team him? And I think try they're to not hedging him. him. I think they're not hedging him, but at the same point, I think every time he enters the paint, I think they're going to bank on Embiid uh, making that pass rather than him dominating Al Horford because they need Al Horford if Robert Williams is not averaging 30 minutes and as the series has gone, last series has gone, I don't think Robert Williams is getting enough. I don't know what the injury status or health status for Robert Williams has been the entire season, but I don't think he's giving Embiid 30 minutes of good play. Embiid is playing probably, even Embiid is probably on a minute restriction, but I think they'll have to probably let him, I think they're going to let Embiid dribble <laughs> uh, the ball, take those middies, but once he enters the paint, I think it's going to be double team action. Right, um, absolutely. I feel like this, uh, the series will go long and like the ta- talent like really matches up really well on either side. I think we it, go it into almost... the series prediction right away. Sure, let's 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 do that. 
I think this is a six game series. Again, I, I, as much as I want to pick the Celtics, as much as I, my heart says Celtics, sorry, my mind says Celtics, but my heart says 76. I think Harden is giving them the buckets and I think it's going to be a six, a six game series for Embiid. Embiid is coming back. He's giving them the buckets. He needs to prove himself as a postseason player. This is his first time he could get to the Western Conference Finals and I think he's giving them. I think it's going to be 76 Olympics. Yeah, for me, I feel like uh, it's it's going to be a tough fought series. I feel like this is a classic seven-game series, but I'm definitely, pick- I'm confidently picking Philly. Uh, I feel like the Celtics have a lot more holes in their defense, in their offense. They rely too much on their talent. Just like we've shadowed in previous videos and just the previous sections, the Celtics will leave the door open for, for Philly. And uh, even with the history that Philly has, I feel like Philly takes this series comfortably in seven games oh for sure like uh, I don't really uh, trust uh, the 76ers to be like super dominant and close them out especially with uh, Embiid being hurt and uh, with his minutes restrictions but I feel like it'll still be a a confident victory for them right I'll quickly go with my predictions you can see the color in the background I'll be a, a hot take on this I am predicting like I have been predicting in the whole podcast series that we have been doing, I am predicting Celtics to win the championship. So I'm predicting Celtics to Yay. win this and win this in six games. I don't think that it's going in seven games. I think so. The J brothers, uh, the the J brothers will be a pain in the ass of the 76ers. I th- I, I think so. If if Embiid can probably uh, if Embiid misses a couple of games, uh, I think so that that is game over for 76ers. But if he even if he does not, I think so. Uh, the Celtics have a great, great chance of uh, moving forward, I think. So, it says it's, it's Celtics for me in six. All right, guys. Uh, thank you so much for watching the podcast. It was great having a conversation with these uh, with these people. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, and uh, and sharing our videos. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. Take care. Peace. Peace. See ya.